Hey everybody, welcome to The Lawyer's Daughter. I'm home, this is my house, I'm in my own house. It's been a long time since I've been here for any length of time. As the therapist said, the brain fog would start to clear as soon as I got home and she's totally right. It really, really has. And I didn't realize how important being in my own surroundings would be. I mean, Katie's house was amazing and I'm glad I was there in Sacramento during shelter. I'm glad I was with her. Today she turns 21 years old, July 30th. and my big girl, she can't do a damn thing because of the pandemic, but she made it to 21. And for me, there were times there, I wasn't sure that was going to happen. And I'm super happy. And she's having a great day. And um, folks, friends have sent her awesome presents. So she's very happy. And so am I. And I can't believe 21 years ago, I was giving birth to that little monster. But I'm here today to talk about uh, things that are on the move and what's happening. I'm going to take you, this will be a little bit like an audible. So if you've read my stories on Medium, you may have heard this before, although I will now annotate some of them because I'm, I'm trying to get my writing to be tight so I can tell a little bit more about what's going on as I go through these stories. So today I'm going to take you through the one about um, just writing the statement. I've talked a little bit about writing that victim impact statement, but the good news is it's done. It's in, it's been in since last, and now a week ago, was it just last Friday? I don't know. I'm losing all track of time. Yeah, I guess it was just last Friday. Like, are we in a new month already? No, that's Katie's birthday. I'm still good. Sorry. This is how it, talk about, the, welcome to brain fog. This is what I'm going through. I can't even remember where I am or what I'm doing, but because I'm home, I'm feeling much better. So Cheryl Temple just called me. So this is Friday the third or Thursday the third. <laughs> just killing myself here. Oh my God. Pandemics are hard. Um, okay. So it's Thursday the 30th. We haven't gotten to August yet. We are just a few short weeks away from sentencing and the victim impact statement delivery. So I can tell you a little bit about what's going on there. What will they, what they're planning to do is it will be the week of the of August seventeenth, barring no coronavirus drama. So and God knows we're doing everything in our power as Americans to lift those numbers higher and higher. Um, we're number one. No, stop, Jen. Come back. Anyway, what's supposed to happen is that the first four days of impact statements, where we get to read them or they're read for us, in some cases, then will be read for people because they either aren't coming or they just didn't want to read them out loud, but they didn't want it to be heard. Those statements will begin on that Monday. And Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, as I just heard, as I understand it, will be the sexual assault victims. And we'll have Murder Thursday three weeks from today, where all of the victims of murder will be talking. So that's on Thursday. So essentially four days of the victim impact statements. And then on Friday, and those will be, oh, we'll be in a real courtroom for the first time. We, we're not, it's weird. I mean, it's going to be a real courtroom where the judge sits in the front, like think law and order. The judge sits in the front. The defense always sits where the Sally ports are. And at this point, anybody who's a lawyer knows what this means. Sally Port is where the prisoners come and go. I assume it means it's because it's got locks and cages and bars and things. So the defense always sits on the side where the Sally Port is. And the prosecution always sits on the side with the jury box. So there's a fun fact. Next time you watch Law and Order, now you know it is, how it is, the way it is, why it is. Then those of us reading our statements will stand Essentially, like you might see at the Supreme Court where the per they stand right in the middle and then the two sides are to the side of them. As Cheryl describes it, as she understands it, we'll, be, we'll come up to the lectern in the middle 
and we will speak to the judge who is in front of us with D'Angelo being either on the right or the left, depending on where the sally port is and where the jury box is, will be, it'll be left or right, but the, he'll be to our side, which is a little weird. Um, it's a little, I don't think I've been close like that close, like airspace close, but we'll, you know, have our masks and everything. Oh, God, we're going to be reading through masks. Can you believe it? Okay. So that's, so, and then I assume there'll probably be media behind the judge where it's been in when we're in department 61, which is at the county jail. So we've only been at department 61 county jail courtroom. And then of course at Sac State for the big plea hearing. And now we'll be in department one, I believe it's called at the superior court is what I understand. It's the main court in Sacramento. The seating for at the courthouse itself, extremely limited. I don't believe there are public seats. They're even limited for victims. They're really, because of social distancing, they're really managing who's in that room. So I said, even on Thursday, am I allowed to stay all day on Thursday with the other families who um, went through murder? And uh, Cheryl was not sure I could even stay. So that's how, that's how um, the space is going to be limited. That's not a lot of people because they're trying to provide for social distancing, not pack the room, all the things that we want. None of us wants to get sick from the virus, especially as a as a offshoot of this case. God forbid. So, okay, so that's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Then when we get to Friday, we should be back at Sac State. Not 100% confirmed, but that's what Cheryl thought. We'll be back at Sac State, which was had more availability for open lotto seats for the public. Again, I don't, Cheryl and I both don't know exactly how Sacramento will do that, but last time there was a lottery to get a seat. Uh, potentially there will be a lottery again, or use your contacts, whatever you know how to do to get your fanny in there, if that's where you want to be. Sentencing, it's called J and S. I don't, I don't remember what the, I need to go do my homework. Anyway, that sentencing on the last day, on that Friday, doesn't, is not expected to take all that long. Like, maybe, maybe 90 minutes all in. Um, and then there will be a press conference afterward, as we might expect. I'm going to try, I'm actually thinking that maybe we should do a Zoom meeting every day just to talk about the statements we've heard that day. For those of you that'll be watching and listening, I, I love hearing your feedback about what interested you and what you heard because we're all going to hear what is relevant to us and we all look at it through a different lens so i find it super interesting to get together and talk about these things after they're done um, and i'm thinking well maybe we just do it every day and talk so i'll set those zoom meetings up um, probably for those of you in europe i'm sorry it's probably gonna be a little late but then if you're watching you're going to be up late anyway so there you have it but i'll probably set this up for um maybe 5 30 every day so that there's a little passing period and it gives me a chance to sober up if I've been drinking. No, I'm not, that's not gonna happen. Probably, maybe, probably not, no, I'll be fine. Um, so we'll do, we'll talk about those things and then Thursday is the day I talk. So I, I'm sure I could do it Thursday night too. I'm expecting to be a little more emotional that day and also some, um, I may see some people that I haven't seen in a while that day. So I, I need to kind of modulate that, but I don't know why we couldn't do one Thursday as well. So I think I'll set those up. And so you can um, just come in and register for them. That's all you got to do. And that I'll set that up on the lawyersdaughter.com. So there'll just be a hot link there to the, um, to the different days if you want to just register for those. And again, it's just a discussion. It's not a high pressure thing, but 
I really find a lot of satisfaction in getting your points of view and what you saw and what you heard and how you experienced it, because I really feel like this is a shared experience at this point, and I want to have time for that. Okay, and then, um, and so that's, I think those are all the, those are all the logistics that I know of right now. Uh, we had to get our statements in. As you guys know, I'm going to go through this article, and I think some of this will be things that you've heard from me before. But I, it doesn't. It, the reason I want to share this with you as part of the pod is because I think it gets you to where I ended up, which you won't know yet, because um, I don't want to share that statement ahead of time. But I for sure will share it. Of course, on the day that I read it, I'll make sure that it publishes that day too onto my blog, so you can look at what I said. In writing because I don't know how it's going to go in speaking in uh, my oral presentation um, I feel absolutely 100% pressure because I'm grad I, I went to um, I went to undergrad in rhetoric which is oration and speaking so pressure there's so much pressure <laughs> then you have a day like today when President Obama speaks you're just like oh my god how do I ever keep up not that I hold myself to that standard, but you know, it's nice to have goals, nice to have intention. So, okay, so that, so the reason I wanna do this and then I will do um, an, a separate podcast in just a second after this one that also shows, that talks about the other article I wrote because I think it's important to look at these themes and like I said, it's what got me to where, to my final statement. This, I basically am sharing with you my thinking out loud. And my intention in sharing this is that Hope to God you never have to write a victim impact statement. But if you do, I want to make sure that you know that you have a lot of latitude and that you can make a lot of choices that are important to you. And, and that to me is the value of a victim impact statement. Yes, it can influence the court. Let's say that you're a victim of a case and somebody hasn't done something. Like you see somebody there who basically made a mistake and you don't want them to do a lot of jail time. You can use your victim impact statement to also convey empathy and compassion for the criminal, for the defendant or the perpetrator. Uh, yeah, defendant, sorry. These words are so particular based on where they are in the process. But the point of a victim impact statement, you really are talking to someone now at this point who's likely convicted, because that's when those, these things get introduced, introduced is after there's a conviction. So you, you can, Cheryl said you can refer to them as the defendant, the offender, or in my preference, the convict. Um, so there's all that too. But my point is, it's a chance for you to be compassionate. It's a chance for you to also fight for what you believe in and to say what matters most to you and to convey that to the judge. And then, um, and I'll talk about it in just a minute, but then remember also, you need to accomplish some things in your victim impact statement. This is super important when your case isn't 40 years old. If your case is relevant, timely, and now, there are some things you need to pay attention to. And honestly, you knowing right now where a case could end up as a victim could potentially help how you even experience the trauma and move through the, the ugliness and what you keep track of. And this could be really powerful if you're friends of somebody who's going through something miserable, because sometimes it's our friends who help keep us clear and help us remember what the priorities are. So that's my intention of sharing all this to help you if it ever happens to you or someone you know and care about. Okay, so um, this is the first article I did. I published it on July 18th. It was right before I started digging into my statement because I was really struggling. And so I, I, I wrote, the, the article's called The Golden State Killer, Writing My Victim Impact Statement. And this was really about my process at the time. 
Typically, I don't struggle to find the words. Uh, I've enjoyed writing and working and marketing my whole life, and using words is what I do. But as the sentencing hearing of Joseph D'Angelo, the now convicted Golden State Killer, and that is highly satisfying to say. If you haven't tried that sentence, just take a minute, try that sentence. The convicted Golden State Killer. Has a nice ring to it, don't you think? Okay, so the, convic the now convicted Golden State Killer grows near my statement is due, and I don't even have a first draft. So you know you're writing something hard, and when you're struggling, there's either two reasons. One, you didn't do the homework, so you're not ready to write, or it's so complicated in your head, being articulate and being able to express your thoughts is actually too noisy and difficult. If you look at how the legal system works, victim impact statements play an important role. And I did attach Ventura's guidelines. Those are up, guys, you can go look at those. Um, you can search them on my website, put in Ventura guidelines, I think that should be it. Uh, impact statement guidelines might be the other search term, but you should be able to search for that on my website at lawyersdaughter.com, no apostrophe. Um, they, the, it, victim impact statements are intended to help the judge understand three things about the victim. In this case, let's pretend it's you. And those three things are how it, it are the, as they are relative to the crime. The physical, the emotional, and the financial effects of the crime. So it really does have a transactional purpose. What, what is the physical impact? I, I fell down and I broke my leg and it, then I got sepsis and everything went sideways. Right, Mark? Terrible. That's a physical impact. You could have the emotional impact. I'm not able to go out at night anymore. I cry all the time, not just at Hallmark and Kodak commercials. Um, old brands, look them up. Um, and then the last is the financial effects. And this one, of course, is a little hilarious since our crime was 40 years ago when we have absorbed all of those financial effects. But if you are currently involved in any kind of crime, keep receipts. I hate to sound uh, particularly woke and topical, but receipts are for real for this. You want those receipts. You want to make you sure you keep track of the financial effects. That would even be if you had to miss work, if it's derailed your career, whatever those financial impacts are. Now, I want to stop a second because I'm starting to hear feedback that this is a very California approach. I don't know if it changes as we move outside of state, so make sure you go look. But I do believe these three intentions are likely uh, consistent across the United States because these are the three things that Americans care about, right? It's part of our culture, physical, emotional, and financial effects. What are your damages? How were you hurt? Okay, so from there, the judge may use that information to determine sentencing and financial restitution, getting you paid back if possible. So in California, we address our remarks to the judge, not to D'Angelo. That's really important. I've had some folks actually respond to this article and say it's different in other states. So look that up as well. Do you have to direct your comments as you write your statement? Are you writing to the judge or are you writing to the defendant? I'm going to look to the defendant, but um, be sure who your audience is as you put this together. So for us, we address the judge. And again, imagining we're in a courtroom where the judge is sitting there ahead of us on the bench, we're at the lectern where we address the judge. Okay, so in my case, after 40 years, this wasn't an easy task. Um, as D'Angelo sadistically raped and then tortured um, and killed my stepmother and my dad in 1980, I was only 18 and Jay was 15 and Gary was 12. And as Gary found them, 
um, it was like a bomb that went off in our lives, right? It just changed everything. And for 20 years, we thought it was a horrific and it's murder in a small town. Y'all know that. That's true. But when we learned it was an unnamed serial killer, things started to change. And then we were tied to this big case that was more than 60 crimes, 26 felony counts, 60 crimes. And God knows that's not it. There's more. And I am still working on that database of anybody who believes they had a run-in with Joe D'Angelo that is not considered um, official. I'll say air quotes official. So if I, my database thing isn't working very well. So just send me an email and I have somebody helping me. Don is helping me get these, uh, put into a database and then, or a, a spreadsheet, but I'm going to bring it over to the blog soon so we can start to see each other's reports of additional contact. Cause I suspect we might see some patterns. We might see where he was a peeper in, in the eighties, um, in the, in the early eighties. We I have had several people tell me that he was peeping. They're convinced it was him. So we might see some trends. Anyway, I digress, but I wanted to let you know that's still something I care very much about. And you feel free to please send me an email. I'm a little bit behind, but I will catch up. Okay, so the other problem with writing a victim impact statement, and it might make anybody writing one uncomfortable, it certainly made me uncomfortable. And that's because this idea in America that this idea of being a victim isn't desirable. So it's pretty ironic because everyone has either been victimized or knows someone who has yet, but our American experience, our culture, however we want to talk about it, it asks us to push past this weakness associated with being a victim. And I link to an article in the Medium article about um, this idea of how we're taught to avoid and discount victimhood. It's actually something that we actively shut down in one another because it's seen as being undesirable. So I encourage you to actually watch your own behavior around victims. There are some people who do victims so well that they turn it into a drama and you want to punch them in the face. I get it. I'm not talking about those people. That's kind of a pathology. I am talking about people who have been harmed and say, fall down, get hurt, and are like, I'm fine. Don't worry about me. No, you're bleeding. You need help. That's, that's real. So that's what I'm talking about. Make sure that you just tune in. If you're dismissing someone's story, did they maybe need to be heard? Did they maybe need you just to say, you know, that really sucks. That sucks. You shouldn't have had to go through that. That kind of validation is so powerful. Okay, so my as I sat there thinking about how I write this victim impact statement, I first asked myself, do I write from the perspective of my dad and my stepmom? Truly, they are his victims. They didn't survive his brutality and their lives held promise. My dad was likely to become a judge. My stepmom was ready to have kids. They're at that point in life where their income was predictable and their lives were stable and they were building a new home for their growing family. Over in Santa Paula, I think I talked about this in some of the in the news stuff when we talked about the Alsip case. My dad had always wanted to build his own home. That was just like a thing. And it kind of became a joke with my mom and I because like I was getting older. I mean, I was already 18. He hadn't built a home yet. My dad was as a big a dreamer as I was in terms of always having these wide-eyed big goals. Uh, and and I'll, I'll never forget when my daughter looked at me, I had wanted to remodel this house. And it, Katie was nine years old and she looked at me, she rolled her eyes and she goes, mom, you're never going to do it. And I swear to God, I called the contractor the next day because she was right. I think about it a lot, but unless you're taking the steps to move forward, it doesn't happen. So my dad was actually going to start building the house. They had the property, their friends, the Placencias lived right below the lot. I mean, this was an exciting time for them that they were going to get this house built. And I'm pretty sure after that, 
if not during that construction, Charlene would have tried to get pregnant. You would have had more Smith kids running around on the planet. Think about that. Anyway, um, they, they, my dad loved politics and I always imagined him as a state legislator or a congressman, but of course that would never be. So then I think, well, do I write from the perspective of their parents, their siblings, their best friends who understood the significance of the, their loss more than we could as children? You know, we grow up and we see our parents kind of through that little kid lens, the, the people that told us no and said yes and, provide, and loved us when we hurt ourselves and yelled at us when we did dipshit things like, you know, drank or whatever. I, of course, I never drank as a teenager. Anyway. Um, but it, it's interesting to me to take the perspective of looking at Dan and Charlene through their friends and their peers, the people that were their age. Charlene was a tremendous friend to those in her circle and beyond. She was a godmother to two young children who likely couldn't even articulate their loss when she disappeared. That is uh, Brett and Tiffany Morell, and they were little. They were still little. I mean, I guess Tiffany was younger than Gary, so I want to say they were maybe like four and seven. They were littles. Um, and, and all of a sudden, Charlene, who had a way of um, coming into the room and you would be energized and, and you knew stuff was going to happen. Like she just, when she came in, you knew things were going to happen. I can't imagine what those littles did when she just wasn't there anymore and how they, how they dealt with that, especially Tiffany, who she and Charlene were just so close. So, okay. So do I take that perspective? My dad was a trusted advisor to his friends and business associates steeped in investments, as we know. Got it. Some of them may be questionable. Projects he hoped would accelerate his wealth and power as he worked to climb the ladder of success. My grandfather worked for the railroad. Somewhere there's a, there's a rumor that there might still be Roseville Railroad stock in my... No, that's Roseville Telephone. It would be Roseville Telephone stock in my family. It would be my uncle and then railroad stock. But Roseville Telephone, I think, is the stock that may have done my uncle proud. Um, that's old stuff. That's just so old. But my grandfather worked for the railroad and he was so proud of his two sons. He, of course, just thought the moon and the stars rose and fell in my dad with being a lawyer. Like that was to come from my grandpa, I believe, who had an eighth grade education, if that much, and to have a son who, who had a Juris Doctorate. And then his other son, Don, who worked in the military and uh, in the Navy. So there you go, Navy, go Navy. I, there's probably a thing I'm supposed to say for Gold Navy, but I always think of my uncle as the Navy guy. And they're both just accomplished, smart, solid guys. So my grandpa, you know, do I write from his perspective? Do I write from the perspective of my siblings? I've carried the ball for my family rep representing the Smiths and doing my best to accurately portray my dad and my stepmom in a way that shows both their strengths and their vulnerabilities. My brothers don't like to talk about it. They just do not, not even with me. Um, and it's likely an artifact of the feelings and heaviness associated with being a victim. I don't think the men in our society handle the victim thing very well at all. You think it's hard for us women? I think it's even harder for the guys. The biggest shared experience of our lives has been met with 40 years of silence as we continue to ignore the elephant in the room. I'm not sure there are words that can characterize this experience. And any of you who've grown up with some damn thing that happened to your family, you either do two things. You either rally around and you talk about it and it's right there in the room or you, it's never in the room. You can ignore it and it's ridiculous. I don't know why we do this. This is so American to me. It's such a 
silly, silly way we behave. Because I think that actually healing could come from talking about it. But that's, of course, my bias. And then finally, do I just write from my perspective, which felt weird because I do feel this um, broad-shouldered responsibility to, to care for not just my family and the children that are coming up, my daughter and my nephews, but also uh, the legacy of this case and the truth about my dad and Charlene and we're not going to have an official record. So these kind of things are become the record, which is a kind of weird responsibility. So um, don't let anyone tell you your life can't change in your 50s because it can. And I have made so many new friends with the men and women who survived D'Angelo's assaults, and uh, that includes the victims of murder. I've gained a boatload of self-knowledge about my adult perspective, and it's helped me reshape my youthful narrative. And that's a lot around, you know, being a suspect. And I've learned more about justice and evil than I thought possible. I have to say this, this whole experience took me to a place I never thought I'd be. I just didn't think I'd get caught. So with that, um, it did send me into that hole. And a lot of it has to do with the level of evil. I just didn't need to be that close to it. Nobody does. Nobody does. Anyway, um, I don't know if there's a way to capture all the ways D'Angelo's actions have impacted my life, but I know, I know I have to try. And that, and that was my challenge in writing the statement. I need to try for my dad and Charlene, for my uncle, Uncle Don, for my grandparents, um, and for my brothers and for myself. And of course, for, for, for my nephews and my daughter and all those coming behind us that'll use this stuff as their way of knowing what happened and what is Aunt Jenny talking about? So, um, that, so that's the article. It's on Medium. I'm trying to do a little bit more for Medium because frankly, I can maybe earn a little bit of money. I'm still out of work. So I'm doing what I can while I'm out of work. I'm trying to enjoy it and, and be productive. But I also encourage you to think about this from your own perspective, because if you have to write a victim impact statement, it, your point of view matters. And this is just me as a writer, having a point of view, knowing who you're talking to and having that point of view, what is it you want to get across? And then remember, physical, emotional, and financial. Those are super key ingredients. So I will be back with the next podcast, but I thank you so much for tuning in today. As usual, you guys are everything to me. I really appreciate your support. Talk to you soon. Venture a highway in the sun.